I shared this morning. Is that on? Okay. I shared this morning with uh, the early crowd that I was going to do something that I don't, I don't recommend and I don't do. And that is, I'm going to preach something I've preached here before. But I'm looking the crowd over, and some of you weren't born when I preached this before. And uh, so it's, it's been a long time ago, and I, uh, I doubt very seriously if very many of you would have remembered it anyway, because most of my messages are not that memorable. But I want to clear something up. Something has happened just in the last few minutes that has really got my attention and uh, made me really uh, want to get things straightened out. I said in the early service that I had saved the sermon on sin for Betty Rowland. But then I heard in the hall a while ago something to do with lunch. Uh, I don't know what that meant, but it sounded to me like maybe lunch was going to be a little bit skimpy because of what I had said. And I want to profusely apologize, Miss Betty. I, I didn't mean that at all. So uh, it just wasn't my attempt at humor, and you know how that works all the time, right? So uh, just glad to get that cleared up. Can't wait for lunch. <laughs> all right, I want to talk to you today, God willing, uh, about the, the shape of, of our church in America today and how many folks are falling away from it in these times. I shared with the, the crowd this morning, one in five churches in America, we're told now, are going to close because of the pandemic. Before it's done, they, they think that it will have been 20% of the churches in America are no longer having services because of the pandemic. Now, that's, that in itself is, is, is pretty serious stuff. But then I'm watching something else in churches, some of it in my church, and, and I'm seeing a lot of it in other churches. And that's where people are, are stopping, and, and it's not COVID-related at all. It's, it's because they, they get, they're getting tired, get wore down. You know, I hear that a lot. Boy, I'm just tired. I just need a little time. Uh, and it's not very long until a little time turns into a lot of time. And if you're not very careful, that, uh, that turns into not being involved in the church at all any longer. Uh, I, that's true in my church. I'm pretty sure it would probably be true in this church or any other church, uh, this morning. And because of that, uh, and something that the Lord spoke to me as I was preaching this morning. This is not what I intended to preach for this service. This sermon is called One More Time. And I like to s clarify that. I don't mean just one more time, but I mean do it again and again and again. That's what I mean by one more time. I see folks that are falling out today because of, of some little something that's happened and it, that little something has grown into something bigger and, uh, Sometimes it's something they have failed to do themselves. And because of that, I think that it's very timely for this message to be heard here again this day. Uh, the people who have a penchant for numerology tell me that God's perfect number is seven. Now, if you've read the Bible, I think you probably would concur with that, that God uses that number seven in a, in a very sacred way. And uh, so a lot of things uh, are explained by that number seven. Now, I don't understand everything that those findings are based on, but I do know this. I know that that, that number seven is representative of perfection or completeness. And that's the way that God does things to establish they are finalized. Now, the Bible is full of references 
about uh, the number seven, and I don't think there's any place where it is more evident than it is in the Jericho story. And uh, there are just uh, two verses here that I, I want us to read together, and, and as I read this, I want you to help me, all right? Uh, some of you have not been around me in a long time, and some never, and if I do this, I'm wanting you to respond in some way. Uh, an amen every once in a while would be nice. And, and in case you have forgotten, I do preach for an indeterminate number of amens. You don't know the number, but I do. And it would be in your best interest and your friend's best interest if you would amen every once in a while. All right? Now that we got that cleared, sometimes I'm looking for you to do something else. This morning when I do this, reading this scripture, I'm wanting you to tell me the next words that are in your Bible. You did bring your Bible, right? All right, if you got your Bible, you'll be able to follow along here. Joshua, and again, chapter 6, verse 3. I want you to listen for 7, all right? Starts like this, And you shall compass the city, all you men of war, and go around the city once. This you will do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark Seven trumpets of ram's horns and the seventh day you will compass the city seven times and the priest will blow with the trumpets. Now that's pretty evident to me that God's pretty fond of the number seven. We just looked at it five times in one verse of scripture. The Bible doesn't say so, but I would not be surprised to find out when I get to heaven that they blew the trumpets seven times. Because that's just the way God works on, on his number. Now, I don't know what all this means for sure, but I do know this. I know that most things we attempt for God once is not enough. You and I both know this morning that there is one baptism, one faith, one salvation. That as a matter of fact, we're told a number of things that there's just one of. But the things that we do after we are saved, the Bible is also very plain that once is never enough. It has to be repeated over and over and over. That's the way good works are. That's the way the things we do are planned out in the mind of God, to continually do these things, not just do them once and, and done. Baptism is once and done, but, but not the things that we're going to talk about here today. Now, having said all that, I want you to know that there are folks who are listening to me right now that are prone to giving up. You do it a lot. You've done it in your lives in other, in other places. You have maybe had a failure in something and it, it caused you just to say, you know, I'm never going to do that again. And you just, you just quit it altogether. It might not have been a bad thing at all. It's just one of those things that you ran up against a wall and because of that resistance, you just don't want to do it anymore. That's the human nature that we have, is to be confronted with failure and then say, okay, I'm not going to put myself in that position again. Sometimes we don't even tell people what we're doing when we do it. We just decide, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. Now, as I look around churches in America this morning, here's what I see. I see a lot of folks are falling away. Those one in five churches that are going to cease to exist, they say during the pandemic, it, it is full of folks who literally are giving up. They're closing doors. 
I had a, f- a family show up at my church a couple of months ago. They, they weren't Southern Baptists. They were a different kind of Baptists. There's a lot of different kinds of Baptists, by the way. But they showed up there, and, and here's what they told me. They said, uh, we've been going to this little church, and, and, and there's nothing going on there, and COVID has shut us down. And now that we're trying to start back up, there's nobody there. Said me and my wife and my, my kid and one or two other people and said, it's just time, you know, to, to move on down the road. Now, I never told them because I wanted them to come to our church if it was going to go to any place. But that wasn't a place to give up. You don't give up when things get hard. You keep on going. You do it again and again and again until you accomplish what God wants you to do. Now, this message today is for those of you who have started and stopped. And some of you might be in the pews, but you've stopped in other ways. It is also for the lazy, the discouraged, the tired, the troubled, and for those who have not realized as yet that God does not always give instant results to your prayers and attempts. Sometimes he wants to see just how you're going to handle a little bit of failure and he'll let you taste it so that he'll be able to test you and he'll keep on testing you until you've got it in your resolve to say, there's nothing going to keep me down. I'm going to get up and serve God regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of the failures that I've already experienced, I'm getting up, dusting off, and striking out again for God. That's what I want to get across to you today. And if you listen, and amen a little bit more, we'll be done before one o'clock. Let's look at a text today that all it's all about the necessity of trying and trying again. I use this passage of scripture, I guess, as much as anything because it fits so well in so many places. But I'm going to read from the Amplified Version of the Bible today and uh, because I want you to get the full impact of what this says. It's in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, Not that I have now attained this ideal or am already made perfect, But I press on to lay hold of, that means grasp or make my own, that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider myself, brethren, that I have captured and made it all my own yet. But one thing I do, it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. So let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind and hold these convictions. And if in any respect you have a different attitude of mind, God will make that clear to you also. Listen to what Paul's trying to do here. He wanted you to know that there is no stopping point to where we can determine that we have arrived and as long as we are in this flesh, we are to press on. We are to keep going. We're never to sit down and say, woe is me, I tried, look what's happened to me. No, God has designed you. You are resilient. 
you are able to take it and get back up and go and go and go again because someday you're going to be tested to the max. I promise you, friend, you may see the persecution of the church as it begins and you better be tested and ready for it. Don't run away from the testing. Just get up, stomp your feet at the devil and say, no, Satan, you can't win. I'm going on. Doesn't matter what you want me to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Has anybody here got an amen in them? Let me try approaching this text today because there are certain things in life that cause people to give up. One of them is when things look hopeless. Have you ever been in a situation where it looked hopeless? So many times, and, and this broken down old body, I, I have been told by some doctor, this is probably going to take you out. I could write a book on things that will take you out. But, uh, but I can tell you this, there's never been a time when I've been without hope. God's going to fix that, you know. That, that's, that, what's, what's the big deal? I either get fixed here or fixed there. Amen. So, so I'm, I'm never without hope. I've got a hope that, that, that remains eternal. Hope you do too. But so many people, whenever things look hopeless, they just lay down and quit. First thing they might do is blame the preacher. If he was just doing his job, you know, he needs to pray more. You know what, there is some prayer that needs to happen where the pastor is concerned, a lot of it. Most of it needs to come from you in his direction. We need to take responsibility and realize there's no place for a child of God to feel hopeless and to sit down and quit. So whenever you're in the dry and barren times of your life, you don't lose hope. You say, well, what do you mean dry and barren times? Simply this. Every once in a while in life, you'll run up against something where you just don't feel as vital as you once were, especially spiritually. You get to a point to where you think when you're praying, your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, falling right back down to the floor. And guess what? Sometimes they really are. And there's other times whenever you're doing your dead level best and and, and it's like no one appreciates you and, and you say, you know, my, my goodness, it, nothing's happening. I had a preacher call me the other day and he said, you know how long it's been since somebody walked down the aisle in our church and got saved? I said, no, it's been like three months. Worried to death, three months, nobody's walked the aisles. I've seen before when God waited months before he started pouring out his blessings. You don't quit preaching the gospel because folks are not responding. That's God's business, Amen. Never let it get so dry and barren that you just want to sit down and quit. Listen to 1 Kings 18.43. Here's what the Bible says regarding an old servant man who was told by the great Elijah, I want you to go up there and I want you to see if there's any rain in the forecast. It's been three and a half years, hadn't rained a drop. Whose fault was that? That old Elijah. He had said, let it not rain again in Israel and, and, and literally named the time. Three and a half years, it's not going to rain. 
and it didn't. And it was dry, and it was barren. And he had a servant. Now that servant was, he was a good servant. You know, Jake, he, 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 he loved his pastor. And, and so the, the pastor told him, said, I want you to go up there. I, I was able to go up there one time. On that mountain, on that very mountain, there's only one place up there that is big enough to hold all those prophets and everything that were up there when, when Elijah was battling against the prophets of Baal and, and, and the old wicked woman, right? Uh, only one place. So I went up there and I looked. And you know what? They had roads that take you almost to it. And then a little path you could walk up and it was paved. It was so neat, you know. You didn't hardly have to strain to get up there to it at all. But then I looked away from that path and that road and it's nothing but rocks and boulders and things. And I thought, that guy had to go from there the rest of the way up. And the rest of the way up was quite a ways up there. And he had to go up there and look out and, and, and come back and report as to what he's seen. Now, can you just... Act like you're a servant of Elijah for just a moment. And Elijah has just told you, let's, let's just say Jake sent you up there and said, hey, I want you to go up there and get on top of the building and I want you to look for rain. And you, and you, you crawl up there and it takes you forever to get up there. That, that old servant, when he started up there, he had to go hand over hand, just clawing, wake, pulling himself up the side of that mountain till he got all the way up there and then looking out and seeing nothing. wonder what he wants me to see. And then come all the way back down again and have that prophet say, what did you see? Nothing. And then he said, go again. Now I know as good a Baptist as you are, you would have said, yes, sir. Right? Let's get, let's get real this morning. Some of you have said, Why? Why do you want me to go up there again? I just came down from up there and there's nothing out there. Why would I want to go up there again? And he said, but if you read the scripture there, you'll find out he didn't tell him once. He didn't tell him twice. He didn't tell him thrice or four or five times. He told him seven times go up there. Now that old servant probably was not as kind-spirited as you. I'm going to imagine for a moment I have that privilege. I'm preaching right now. I'm going to imagine something. I can just see that old servant starting up that hill the seventh time, mumbling, crazy old prophet. Stupidest thing I ever saw. Been up here six times already. Wore out. Look at there. Holding my blue jeans. I'm tore up. And I'm, I'm sweating. I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. Why would he send me up there one more time? Any of you ever get a place in your life when it was dry and barren enough that you found yourself saying, I wonder why I would do this again and again and again and again. But then the right number of times happened and the servant went up there. You know, I think he had a real uptick in his prayer life on that seventh trip. Come on, Lord. <laughs> Whatever it is I'm supposed to see, would you please let me see it? You know, see him up there right now and saying, come on, come on, show me something. I don't want to go back down and face that dude again. And finally, sees that little bitty hand, cloud about that size. 
I can see him coming back down the hill. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I'm going to tell him. I saw a little cloud up there, about this big. Maybe that'll appease him. But you know what the prophet said when he reported? He said, that's what we've been looking for. There's a sound of abundance of rain. Now let me ask you, would it have rained if he had stopped on the third trip? Or the fourth trip? Or the fifth trip? Let me ask you another question. Do you know that old boy, that old prophet down there, you know, went down and was told to be baptized in the Jordan? Remember that? Why would I want to do that when the, the rivers of, of uh, 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 Abithar and something else, they're, they're, what was, Abana and Abithar, forget that Thar thing, I can't get it. Anyway, why would I want to do that when I've got the, I've got the Jordan River? Why would I go to that river? Why, did I, why not just go to... And he said, I want you to go down there and dip seven times. What if that old boy had just dipped twice and said, this, this, nothing's happening? Huh? When it's the driest and the most barren, just remember something. God is just waiting to see if you will obey him. If you keep going when things are hard, listen to me. Each one of you individually, listen to me right now. No matter how hard things are, no matter how hard you've been trying and failing, don't you stop now. Right now is the time to stand up and be the church member and the church that God has called you to be. Now is the time to say, look out devil, here we come. We've seen the hand of God. We've dipped enough times and God is about to pour his blessings out on us. That's what you ought to be doing today. Not saying, oh, it's just my prayers just bouncing off the ceiling here. Won't you just go have a pity party or something? No, just keep getting up. Keep on going. Keep on doing it. No matter how dry, no matter how barren it becomes, don't you stop. But there's another time when people keep wanting to quit, Jake. And it's, this, it's, it's when there's been a failure, a real failure. Like, for instance, you have failed God. Anybody here ever failed God? Those of you who did not say yes, either you're not able to speak or you just lied. Amen? Hmm? By the way, you're way behind on those. Amens. Listen. Proverbs 24, 16, mark it down. For a just man falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked will fall into mischief. Literally, that says a righteous man will fall. By the way, we're told in the Psalms that he won't fall utterly being cast down. The right hand of God will uphold him. You're not going to fall out of the boat, my friend. You may fall down in the ark, but you're not going to fall out of it. Amen? That said, listen very, very carefully. The question is not if you're going to stumble, but it is when you stumble. We all stumble. Hmm? I don't know how much I've told and where I've told it. There's a sweet reward for people getting old and forgetful. I can tell the same joke to myself 10 or 12 times before I realize I've heard it before. And sometimes I can tell the same story at the church that's already heard it. That's all right. 
I'm going to try it again. Because I'm, I'm looking around the crowd, and there's one or two of you that's got enough gray hair that you probably don't remember this either. But I want you to, I want you to listen carefully. If you are human, you're going to have some Walmart moments. Do you know what a Walmart moment is? That's when you go shopping. And I do a lot of shopping at our house. Well, I shop at Walmart for our house. And I went in, and there's this woman, and she has a cell phone. I don't know how she had it propped up, but she had the phone there in front of her in that little basket where kids go. And uh, I saw her, and I dodged her once or twice. And then I was coming down an aisle, and I was blindsided by a shopping cart. And this lady is glued on that telephone. I don't know what she's doing, but she looks up to see what her impedance was, and she saw me. And she went, <laughs> pulled it back, and down the aisle she went, and I said, Lord, thank you for getting me out of that one, and I'll be more careful from now on. I thought I, there's no reason to cause a scene in Walmart, but it hurt my shins. So I went on down another aisle, and I, and I saw her once down there, and I thought, whoops, she's coming up this way. So I went over to the next one and went down it and came back the other way, and I thought I was safe. And I looked, and here this woman came out of an aisle, came right at me. I thought, ain't no way. She is not going to run over me with the same shopping cart twice in one trip. But that's wrong. I was wrong. Bam! She gives me one of those and then grunts at me like, big dummy, get out of the way. That's twice. I can count twice. And I also know how I felt right then. None of you ever do this. <laughs> you sweethearts. I can see your halos. They're popping up all over the place right now. I walked away from her and I said, Lord, give me five minutes to backslide and give me a bigger shopping cart. I'm the only person in the building that would have done that, you know. That's why you think it's humorous. Because you say, that's a foolish old man. He probably really did think that. I really did. And you know what? Every once in a while, when I'm on the road, Satan puts drivers on there, demon-possessed, to kill me. I dodge, run off the road, do everything to keep them getting killed. And one day I'm riding along with my wife, and I, I, I saw it coming, but I was, I was doing my best to get out of the way, and they went past me, and I knew they couldn't hear me anyway, so I said, you stupid idiot! And I looked over at my wife, and she said, preach it, Brother John. <laughs> so on the way here, <laughs> there's always a payday someday. On the way here, we're driving, we get behind a pickup truck doing 35 to 40. No passing zones as far as the eye can see and no telling how far down the road. And we drive and we drive and she has to go to the bathroom. And she says, I wish he'd hurry up and get out of the way. I said, I'm doing my best. I can't get around him. I ended up passing him in a no passing zone and the same moment it said, preach it, Brother John. Looked over at that guy and said, move it on, buster! <laughs> Those are all Walmart moments. And y'all have them. 
Uh, you may not vocalize it, but you don't have to. God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hello? See, sometimes when we stumble, now that we realize we do stumble, right? How many of you just say, give me, give me one course of amens right now if you're a stumbler. Can I see an amen if you will stumble? Amen. amen. You didn't listen. I said, let me see an amen. And you just spoke it. No wonder this is a tough crowd, Brother Jake. They don't listen to a thing. That's not foolishness. I just forgot where I was going to be next. Paul said, I have not yet attained the ideal. This is the apostle that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But yet he said, I haven't got there yet. I'm amazed at how many Baptists think they've arrived, Jake. Literally, they read the Bible a couple of times when they first got saved sometimes 40 years ago and they say, I don't need to read it anymore. There's nothing new in it. I already know what's there, but friend, I got news for you. It's a book that's alive and every time you read it, you're going to be spoken to in a different way. Don't give up. Don't give up. Paul said, I have not yet got over this being short every day of my life. And he knew his flesh was warring against him and it was dragging him down. That's why he wrote in Romans seven twenty one, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Friend, I got news for you. If the apostle himself said, I'm living in a dead old body, one that's full of sin, I haven't got there yet, then you and I ought to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I don't see the reflection of Jesus just yet and get up and quit whining and go again and go again and go again. Don't stop now. This is not a place to get off. You'll know when God says that's enough. Most of the great men of the Bible did their best work after they had already fallen. Did you know that? Any of you ever fail big time? Let's Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't say amen or not here or nothing. Just, just wonder how many of you have made the mistake and you, I will call it sin because that's what it is. And you look at what you've done and say, oh, how could I have done that? How could that happen? You know, it's, 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 it's not unlikely that folks are going to fall. The thing is, is, is how they react to the fall. You, you can give up if you want to. What if David had given up after Bathsheba? Do you recall what God called David before he fell with Bathsheba? He said, David, a man after God's own heart. David wrote again after Bathsheba, after the child had died. Do you know what God said of David after? David, a man after God's own heart. The question is not, are you going to fail God? You're going to fail him. And there's no question that he's going to keep you and provide for you. His word says that, amen? So if it's, if it's good for David, it'd be good for you. Remember Peter after denying Christ? You, 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 did you read what he did? 
That man got up and became a champion. All of a sudden, the man that was hiding at the fire one day became a preacher where he was preaching thousands of people get saved at the same time. Awesome, awesome move of God because he did not quit after the denial. How about Samson and Delilah? Let me tell you what, boys, it matters where you get your hair cut. Amen? After all this time of, of, of her trying to trick him and trip him up, finally she says, if you really love me, Samson, you would tell me where your real strength lies. And he said, it's in my haircut. Cut my hair? I don't have any strength. You know what? They put that man's eyes out. They caught him, put his eyes out, put him to grinding meal, walking around and around and around with everybody mocking and taunting him. And you know what? It would have been real easy to just give up right there. But his hair started growing. Now, boys, please don't take this as a sign from God that you're supposed to have hair down to your waist. No. No, no, no. I've got a grandson who thinks that that's spiritual and scriptural, you know, to have, have your hair grown down that long. I offered him 50 bucks the other day and found out just how spiritual he was. <laughs> there is a price. <laughs> Listen. Samson felt the strength coming back and he had fallen greatly. <laughs> what did he do? He said, well, he sat down there on the side of that thing after his day of work and said, oh me, I'm just going to see if I can somehow get underneath that stone and just commit suicide. No, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He said, Hey, lad, come here. Would you put my hands on the pillars here? And the Bible says Samson pushed those pillars apart and that thing fell down and he killed more of those folks in that one act than he had in his entire life and he killed a bunch. Samson didn't quit. You say, well, I'm not Samson. Well, maybe you might be a Jonah. <laughs> You know, Jonah failed pretty bad. How many of you ever rode in a submarine? That's what happened to Jonah. It was a fleshy submarine, but they pitched him over and fish got him. All the way down at the bottom, it says there are three days and three nights. I've heard people say, that's impossible. Well, friend, have, have you ever studied DNA and RNA and things like that? <laughs> i got news for you. God created everything. If God created everything, he can certainly do what he wants to with it. Amen? And so Jonah, he's down there, the weeds wrapped around his head, and he cried out to God. Now, why is he down there? Because God told him to go preach to the Ninevites. And he said, I ain't going. I don't like them dudes. No way. They're our enemy. I am not going to tell them about God. And so that's why he went down. He kept going down. But down there he heard from God. And the Bible says the fish spit him out. I believe that. And, you know, if the average Baptist preacher would say, okay, God, I'll go now. <laughs> you bet. I've learned my lesson. You know what he did? He went to Nineveh just like he told God he was going to go. 
and walked in that place with a bad attitude. You know, I, I'm pretty sure God wanted him to go in there and say, folks, listen up. In 40 days, God's going to destroy this place if you don't get it all straightened out. I've come to tell you, there is a God and you're going to pay a price. But that ain't what he did. I'm going to, I'm going to put this in modern vernacular. He just walked in and said, turn or burn. And never expected them to turn. But they did. All these people did their greatest work after they had fallen. Because all of Nineveh got saved. Every living being there that could understand that man's words was saved. Think about that. The greatest work that any preacher ever did was right then and there. But here's why it was successful. He realized this premise. Listen to this carefully and please don't forget it. You have not failed until you quit trying. Listen to it again. It's too simple for you to let it slip past you. You have never failed until you have quit trying. I don't care if you've been knocked on your backside no telling how many times you are not done until you have said, I am not going to quit. How many of you know who George Foreman is? Big boxer, right? I, I can't remember the exact year. What was it, 19, either 68 or 78, he won the, uh, the heavyweight championship. Big, tough guy. Won the Olympics, heavyweight boxer. Almost went broke. Literally was preacher of the gospel and just barely getting by. And he decided that he could, he could preach and still go back and, and retrain. 20 years later, if you know anything about boxing, you know that people don't usually start a second career when they're 50. But George, pretty close to 50, decides he's going to do it. He got whipped a time or two. But you know what George Foreman is worth today? I looked it up. You know what, you can get on that Forbes list and look and you can find out about, I found out, you know, Jake's loaded. Uh, <laughs> I just threw that in, I didn't really, no, no, no. <laughs> That'll get out, Jake is loaded, I'm sorry about that. Anyway, uh, uh, Mr. Foreman is worth $300 million and retook the heavyweight championship at age 46, the oldest man to ever do that because he would not give up. I've watched some of his bouts whenever he was big, rotund guy. I mean, he's barely huffing and puffing in the ring, almost 300 pounds, trying to come back. And I watched some just the other night of, of when he finally took the championship back. Back cut, strong, lean, mean machine. And not, not hardly anybody else in the world would have said that was possible to do. But he did. I'm here to tell you, if you don't give up, you're not done. You're only done when you do give up. Did you hear what I just said? You're only done when you do give up. Now let me share this with you because this is the one that some of you have already dodged it so far. You said, that's not me, that's not me, I... Uh, you know, the, the humorous stories are okay, but I'm, I'm clear. How about this? 
How about go one more time when someone has failed you? What do you mean failed me? Oh, don't, don't play that way. All of you have been the victim of someone else's failure at one time or another. Hmm? What do you do when somebody's failed you? Listen to the word in Matthew 18, 21. It says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Does that mean 490 times? Nope. That's an indeterminate number. Look it up. It's used often in the Greek language. You know what it is? It's God saying, until I tell you to stop, don't stop. That's what it meant. It wasn't 490 and then the next time smack them one. It was instead, until you hear me say stop, you keep on going over and over and over. You mean if somebody offended me and I've forgiven them 490 times, i got to give them a shot at it again? Listen to me, friend. If I read the Bible correctly, that is exactly what it's saying. Jesus forgave you, and i got news for you. Most of you are way past 490 times. Aren't you glad he didn't give up at 490 and said, I'm going to keep on and keep on and keep on. Let me tell you something, friend. Those people who failed you, they're no different than you. Maybe they're a different transgression, but you both are transgressors. We, we get a feeling of superiority sometimes. Boy, because of who I am, I don't do that for sure. Listen to me. You may not do that, but you do that. Sin is sin, regardless of what you want to call it. I see people today who are blown out of the water with some of the, the, the sins of the flesh that we're seeing in our society right now. And it's almost like we've got so much focus on that that we've forgotten that telling a lie is also a sin. Or cheating on your taxes is also a sin. Or talking about a brother or sister behind their back, that is a sin. We forget those things because all we can see is homosexuality. All we can see is shacking up together. All we can see is those things that are so evident. Yes, I did say that. But those sins that you think are small and acceptable to God, listen to me carefully. God has said the soul that sinneth shall die. Not the soul that does a specific sin. Any transgression. It's a transgression of the law. You do it no matter what it is. It's just as important to God. Now, having said that, my sin is no greater than yours. I've confessed my Walmart moments. You know them. And by the way, if you look at your phone while you're pushing the shopping cart in Walmart, you'll probably not talk to me. I'll go hide in the manager's office until you are gone. But I want you to know that my behavior, my sin, as bad as they were, are not any different than yours. You say, well, we keep ours at home. We, it's working, right? We keep ours at home. We might 
We might fight and fuss at home, but we don't do that out where people can see us. Oh, it doesn't count at home? <laughs> Here come the halos. You think that smiling at me will make me think that you never do it. But you don't need to worry about what I see. It's what he sees. Hello. When you come in and all of a sudden decide to tear each other apart over something that was so inconsequential, you just sinned. He said, but that's my wife. That's my husband. Hey, that doesn't give you license to sin against them. Amen? You don't just sin in Walmart. You sin in your home. You sin in your marriage. There's so many different ways for us to sin. And we need to get over this thing that my sin is not as great as somebody else's sin because it's all sin. Did, did somebody get that by now? You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If, if that's the case, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I just won't go around them anymore. I, if they're going to fail me and it's going to make me sin, I just won't go around and won't give them a chance. Can I give you a hint? Do this. It will rattle, but nobody will notice. Go ahead. I'm going to give you a hint. If you mark off all who fail you, you will die lonely. It's not a question if they're going to fail you. It's going to happen. The question is, how do you handle it? When it does happen, huh? You know, not only will they fail you, if you give them enough time, they'll probably fail you again. How many of you have lived long enough to know that some of the people you invest the most of your time and efforts and sometimes your money in will sometimes turn on you and bite you like a ravenous wolf? Did you know that that happens? It certainly will. If you think it doesn't, just follow your pastor around for a while. Come follow me around. I, I, I bet you wouldn't believe how, how people speak ill about someone as sweet as me and Jake. But it happens. You know, you got two ways to handle that. You can say, I tell you what, I'm going to forgive you, but ain't going to be around you no more. Well, let me tell you, that's not forgiveness. Let me tell you something else. Until you have fully forgiven them, their actions have unending consequences for your life. Maybe theirs too, but yours. There's nothing, Jake, that will eat up a soul like bitterness that comes from unforgiveness. So here's my my advice to all of us today. Somebody has failed you? Okay. You bet. It'll happen. But if you want to have peace and you want to stand before God someday and, and feel comfortable when you walk, no, I shouldn't say that. I don't think anybody's going to be comfortable whenever they stand before God. But I can tell you this. You better to have forgiven because His Word is plain. He says, if you can't forgive those, your brothers and sisters, how do you expect me to forgive you? 
It's a paraphrase, but basically that's exactly what he's saying. So don't, don't you quit because somebody has failed you. It's a human condition. You keep going. Now, lastly today, can you believe that? Wow. I'm going to roll, Jake. I, how, how long, I've, I've listened to you preach. How long do you usually preach here? Is that why they, is that why they got this little clock here for you? Did they? Well, that's what's going on. That's, that's why I've been hurrying. I, I got that other point. I want to go back to. No, I'm not going to do that. I do have a fourth point. Doesn't take long. If you're ready to hear it, say amen. Oh, it took prompting, but you made it. Go one more time when you offer him praise. Everybody praises different. Some people do that with a raised hand. Some people with a bowed head. Some people on their face before God. Some people in the quietness of their prayer closet. Some people love to go where there's a great mass of people and, and do corporate praise. All those things are acceptable. Okay? But we're not supposed to just praise every once in a while. We're supposed to praise continually. And you say, well, how do you know continually? Because I know a little bit, a tiny little bit about the Hebrew language. I did, they made me take that in seminary. I didn't do well in it, but I remember a thing or two. It says in Psalms, 119.164, seven times a day do I praise you because of your righteous judgments. How many times? Seven times a day. Guess what? Hebrew also has a way of describing a word that doesn't mean specifically seven all the time. Sometimes you'll read it and, and that's exactly what it means, but you figure it out. Sometimes it means keep doing it. Keep, don't, don't stop doing it. Seven times a day I praise you because of thy righteous judgment. David was letting us know that he was all about praising God. That was, that was what he was going to be doing. This is after the fall. David's saying, I praise you all the time. You know what my best praise time is? I love praising God. I was praising God here this morning. And had them, I, you know with the fuzzy caterpillars? Do you remember those? That's when it feels like a caterpillar went up your pant leg and ran two laps around your waist, went down the other leg and tried to crawl off. I feel that every once in a while. Y'all were singing the song. I'd heard it once this morning, but man, I was standing there and, and all of a sudden I didn't want to sing anymore. I just wanted to start to praise God and I just bowed my head and began to praise God and it's just like a caterpillar was all over me, man. I'm telling you, God was in the place. That Sometimes it's, it's like that, but my favorite place is driving down the road. I get a lot of practice. Praise God that that guy didn't kill me that time, you know. But no, I'm serious. I, I, can, I can pray an entire trip sometimes. And every once in a while, I'll even sing a song or two. <laughs> uh, I want you to know that's not a pretty thing. But to God, it's okay. But th that's my, my favorite time. I'm alone. I'm driving. My mind is on that one thing and the road ahead of me. That's it. 
And man, sweet times with Jesus driving down the road. Did you ever do that, Brother Jay? Just pray and pray and pray. Awesome, awesome time. And it reminds me every time of David saying, I'm just going to praise you and praise you and praise you. That's what God expects of us. And here's what I want you to know. This is the way that this concludes today. By the way, this is not one of those staged communications where I say, now and almost, and I'm almost there and all that. I'm, I'm getting ready to stop right now. Mark it on your calendar. I'm stopping right now with this statement. You are not done with God when you are saved. So many people say, I made it. No, friend. No. That's when you're supposed, you're supposed to start praising God. And don't ever stop. Praise Him in the morning. Praise Him in the noontime. Praise Him when the sun goes down. How many of you know that little song? How many of you want to sing it this morning? That, no, it's still morning. You want, to, you want to sing it? Well, let's, let's do that. Let's do that. I don't know the whole thing. You're going to have to help me. How many of you know all of it? <laughs> Some help you are. Amen. You have failed me. That'll soak up on the way home. They'll say, oh, he threw that in. We failed him just now. Yeah, but I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to try to lead you. Because I don't guess anybody knows this song. It says, Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him in the morning, praise Him in the noontime, praise Him, praise Him, praise Him when the sun goes down. I think in one line it says when it don't shine. I never could figure out which one that was. But I do know this, it says to praise Him. All the time. God has said there's never a time when you're not supposed to be praising God. How many of you got something today that you can praise God for? He's been good to you. And you know that great God that I preached about today has forgiven you over and over. He loves you without condition. He's a matter of fact, he loves you as much right now as he did the day he saved you. And he can never love you more because he loved you fully when he first knew about you. And God has taken care of you to this point. If that is you, would you right now just say amen? Yes, I've been praised. I've been blessed. God has accepted me. And, and, and if, you're, if you're not in that category, I'm, I feel sorry for you. Here's what I know. I could do this all day long. And if you do not know for sure that he is in your heart, it's not going to motivate you to praise him. If you're here today and you're not sure if you died, you would go to heaven. Don't tell me how long you've been in a Baptist church. I don't care. I've seen some of the meanest people, meaner than a junkyard dog, have been in a Baptist church their whole life and just got meaner by being there. Don't tell me how many times you've been baptized. I don't care if you've been drugged through every pond in Hamilton County. doesn't matter, friend. It, what matters is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you're sitting out there today and you cannot say 100% sure that if I died today, I'd be in heaven, I'd be in glory with God. If you can't do that, I want to make you a deal this morning. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you later. I'm not going to tell Jake who you were. All I'll do is pray for you. Some of you, I don't even know your names yet. So I couldn't tell on you. All I'm going to do is pray for you. You'll remain anonymous if you desire to be so. 
So just now, if you'll bow your heads, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. As we started into this invitation, let me, let me ask you to do it this way. If you'd say to me, Brother John, you have described me today. I love Jesus, I really do, but I am not sure that if I died today, I would go to heaven. I'm just not sure. I've never got that cleared up. Well, friend, I, want new, I got news for you. You need to have that cleared up. It's hard to truly love Jesus in the right way until you've got that straight. So if, you, if you're sitting out there right now and you'd say to me, Brother John, I'm not sure. Would you just allow me the privilege to pray for you? Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed. No one is looking. And if you would say, Brother John, include me in the prayer. Would you slip up your hand so I can see your hand? And by that, I'll know to pray for you. I see that hand. Are there others today? Brother John, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm, I'm for sure going to heaven when I die. Please include me in the prayer. Is there anyone else here today? Just slip up your hand and put it right back down. I, I, I think I've seen two hands. Are there any more here today? Amen. I see your hand. Any others? I'm not sure. Include me in the prayer. Anyone else? All right, just now, you, you pray along with me. Our Father, I come to you just now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, you have seen these hands that have been raised today. You know them. You knew them before you created them. You, you, the Bible tells me that you, you've always known them. And you have not designed any of us to go to hell. That is plain. You have said that you're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So Father, I'm going to take your word that all means all. And I know, Lord, that you don't want anyone in this room today to spend eternity in a devil's hell when they could spend eternity in God's great heaven. So I ask you just now, as, as we pray, as they pray and bow their heads before you just now, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would touch their spirits. Help them, Lord, to, to give themselves to you fully and completely, not reserving anything. Lord, help them to just bear their soul before you. And, and say, to, to, say to you, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my master. Be my Savior. If you do that just now, Lord, if you'll just encourage them to do that, I know there's some that want to do that. And I know you're hearing my prayer just now, God. You'll let me know that you'd hear a prayer like this today. So please, Father, please, those who have raised a hand, do not let them sit through another invitation after this one without knowing for sure that they are saved and on their way to glory. So I ask it in Jesus' name. And I believe that, Lord, because your word says it. Amen. Every head is still bowed, every eye is still closed. If you were sincere when you raised your hand, no one's going to come to you. My word is still my bond. All I want to do is have you look up here at me. Nobody else is looking. If you were sincere when you did that, listen to me carefully. You do not have to leave here in the same shape that you came in. You do not have to do that. You can leave this place knowing that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know about my life. It doesn't matter about your life. You don't know about mine, but I can tell you mine was probably worse. And if God saved me, he'll save you. I know he will because he's not willing that any should perish. So right now, I'm going to ask you to do something. I, there's no trick. You can sit there, stand there, do what you want. But I'm going to invite you to come today and meet the pastor right here in front of this Lord's Supper table. You walk right down to him and say, I was one of those, and I want to know for sure that I'm saved when I leave this world. I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. If that is you, God has heard my prayer. 
I think he's heard yours. I, there's no doubt that you were praying along with me. I think he's heard. But you need to make it public. The way to make it public and the way to make it sure is to be able to step out right now as I ask people to stand all over this place and come and find your, your spot right here and say, Pastor, that was me, and I want, to, I want to make it public that I'm receiving Christ today as my Lord and Savior. He may want to pray with you more. He may want to tell you some things, but I can tell you this. If you are willing and you're coming before Him and you're willing to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead and you're willing to repent and change, turn about, then I can tell you for sure, God does not intend for you to spend one minute in a place called hell. So would you stand right now all over the place? And if that is you, would you come forward just now? Those of you who have been failed by someone, those of you who have failed God, those of you who have had failure in any way at all, listen, the altars are open today and they're open for you. Would you come and get that right today? This church is a great church, but it'll be even a greater church if you all get that straightened out right here and now. Here's what I want you to do. Come, especially if you if you raised your hand today and I prayed for you, step out and come. Brother Jake's going to be right here. You come right here where he's at. Come on. Don't let this pass you by. Don't miss the opportunity. You come. Others of you, you come. A few have come to pray today. Are these the only one? Will you come? Will you give your heart to Jesus today? Come now. Don't wait. Don't tarry any longer. Now is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. This may be the last chance you ever have. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. Don't dare walk out the door today without Jesus. All you have to do is come to Him, bring Him your heart, and I can tell you for sure, you'll walk out of here knowing that heaven is your home. Come on, I know you want to come. I know you do. You come. Don't tarry any longer. Listen as Brother Jamie sings, and you come. Come on, others of you need to come today. Somebody failed you, you failed God. Get here on your knees and say, Lord, I ain't quitting. I'm going on. You come, please. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life, or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.